Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 157, where we will continue our march through the book of Ezekiel. Uh, We concluded in chapter 16 yesterday, so let's pick it up in chapter 17 now. And in verse 1, well, the title says, Parable of the Eagles. And in verse 1 it says, The word of the Lord came to me, me being Ezekiel, son of man, pose a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. You are to say to them, this is what the Lord says, a huge eagle with powerful wings, long feathers and full plumage of many of many colors came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. He plucked off its topmost shoot, brought it to the land of merchants and set it in the city of traders. And so this is referring to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who plucked off the topmost shoot, which would be uh, King uh, Jehoiachin of Judah. So he took King Jehoiachin back to, took him captive, essentially back to uh, Babylon. And then it goes on to describe how uh, seed was planted near water and how a a nice vine was grown, producing tremendous fruit and everything. And so then it says in verse 7, but there was another huge eagle with powerful wings and a thick plumage. And this is representative of Egypt, and it goes on to describe how it planted seed uh, near water for it to be able to grow a nice vine and produce fruit. And then it says in verse 9, uh, the Lord says, you are to say, this is what the Lord God says, will it flourish? He's referring to the, to the seed that Egypt had planted. Will it flourish? And so what this is, is, is doing is it's illustrated, it's a riddle, if you will, on how uh, King Zedekiah, after Jehoiachin had been taken to Babylon, uh, approached Egypt in order to have Egypt save them from the pending invasion from uh, Babylon. And so in verse 11, it says, uh, the word of the Lord came to me. Now say to that, now say, uh, to that rebellious house, don't you know what these things mean? Tell them the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, took its king and officials and brought them back with him to Babylon. He took one of the royal family and made a covenant with him, putting him under oath. And so after he removed Jehoiachin, he put Zedekiah in place uh, as king and he made uh, a covenant with Zedekiah and put him under oath. And so there was a covenant and an oath between Nebuchadnezzar and between Zedekiah. And he says, then he took away the leading men of the land so that the kingdom would be humble and not exalt itself, but would keep its covenant under, uh, w- but would keep his covenant in order to endure. And so for them to survive, the covenant had to remain in place. Again, between Zedekiah of Judah and Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. In verse 15, it says, however, this king revolted against him by sending his ambassadors to Egypt uh, so they might give him horses and a large army. In other words, it says Zedekiah <coughs> revolted against Nebuchadnezzar because he sent for aid uh, uh, from Egypt to come essentially fight against Babylon to help us uh, recover. And then he asked the same question. Will he flourish? <laughs> Will the one who does such things escape? Can he break a covenant and still escape? And so you see the Lord is recognizing the covenant that was made between Nebuchadnezzar and Zedekiah. And so he's asking a rhetorical question. He's saying, will he, Zedekiah, flourish? See, will the one who does such a thing, will the one who breaks covenant, will he flourish? And then in verse 16, it says, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord, he will die in Babylon. He referring to Zedekiah in the land of the king who put him on the throne. See, The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was the one who put Zedekiah on the throne of Judah. They had covenant. Zedekiah broke it. 
And now the Lord is telling Ezekiel that Zedekiah is going to die in Babylon. And it says, um, well, let me start again. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. He will die in Babylon in the land of the king who put him on the throne, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke. And so this is stuck in the Lord's craw. He's not going to, he said, no, this is an illustration of how important, um, of how critical the Lord considers covenant. See, covenant is a, is an oath. It's a bond. And so in verse uh, 18, he says, he despised the oath by breaking the covenant. He did all these things, even though he gave his hand in pledge. He will not escape. This is not unlike marriage. See, marriage is a covenant. And so the Lord is saying, you know, when you break oath, when you break covenant, that's serious business. And that has serious consequences. And I do not forget that. He says, you gave your hand in a pledge. And then in uh, verse 19, he says, therefore, this is what the Lord God says. As I live, I will bring down on his head my oath that he despised and my covenant that he broke. The Lord is saying my oath that he despised and my covenant that he broke. So the Lord is claiming ownership over the covenant between Nebuchadnezzar and Zedekiah because the Lord is saying, look, Zedekiah, you broke my oath. You broke my covenant. Therefore, you're going to die. You know, you're going to die at the hands of the one that you broke covenant with. And so we see that this is very, very, very serious business and things that cannot be taken for granted. It says in verse 21, all the, fug all the fugitives among the troops will fall by the sword, and those who survive will be scattered to every direction of the wind. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. But then it switches up a little bit. In verse 22, it says, this is what the Lord God says. I will take a sprig from the, roft, uh, from the lofty top of the cedar and plant it. I will pluck a tender sprig from its topmost shoots. I will plant it on a high towering mountain. I will, plant it, um, I will plant it on Israel's high mountain so that it may bear branches, produce fruit, and become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind will nest under it. Birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade of its branches. Then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the tall tree, and I make the low tree tall. I cause the green tree to wither. I make the withered tree uh, thrive. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Now, this is important because this is in reference to Jesus. So he says he will take a sprig. And, 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 and he, will, he will pluck that tender sprig from its topmost shoots, and he will plant it on the high towering mountain. You see, and then it says, birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade of its branches. This is in reference again to Jesus. Let's go on to chapter 18. And it says, personal responsibility for sin. And it says here in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? And so I think it was yesterday the Lord was getting on a different proverb. So now he's going to get on another one that they're saying. You know, you know, the things that we say, and a lot of times we use proverbs or cliches or sayings, and, and we don't even think about them, but we believe them to be true. And, and this was certainly the case with this particular proverb, but the Lord is going to come against this. And it says this. This is the proverb or the cliche, or the saying. The fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. And so people would say this all the time. 
And what this essentially means is that the fathers would sin and that the children would pay for their father's sins. And so, and in doing so, the children never acknowledge their own culpability in their own sin because they say, well, you know, my father's sin, and so we're dealing with, with, with their sins. That's just the way it is. And in verse 3, it says, As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. You will no longer use this proverb in Israel. <laughs> Look, every life belongs to me. The life of the father is like the life of the son. Both belong to me. The person who sins is the one who will die. Then it says in verse 5, Suppose a man is righteous and does what is just and right. And then he goes through a list of things a righteous man might do. And then it says in verse 9, He follows my statutes and keeps my ordinances, acting faithfully. Such a person is righteous. He will certainly live. This is the declaration of the Lord. So the Lord is saying, and I didn't go through the list, but he goes through a list of things that a righteous and a just person will do. And he says, if this person does this and follows my statutes and keeps my ordinances, certainly this person will live, regardless of what their father did. Then it says in verse 10, but suppose a man has a violent son who sheds blood and does any of these things, and those things being the things that were in the list. You know, <clears throat> you know he, he worshiped idols. He slept with his neighbor's wife. You know, he oppressed the poor. He does all these things. In verse 13, it says, he will not live. Since he has committed all these detestable acts, he will certainly die. His death will be his own fault. <laughs> okay? In verse 14, it says, Now suppose a man has a son who sees all the sins his father has committed, and though he sees them, he does not do likewise. So you have a son who has an evil dad, and he does a bunch of crap, and the son witnesses this, but he doesn't follow suit. And in the words says, he practices my ordinances and follows my statutes. Such a person will not die for his father's iniquity. He will certainly live. <clears throat> then it says in verse 20, the person who sins is the one who will die. A son won't suffer punishment for his father's iniquity, and a father won't suffer punishment for his son's iniquity. The righteous of the righteous the righteousness of the righteous person will be on him, and the wickedness of the wicked person will be on him. See, we, we, we have this situation today where we don't necessarily uh, look at our parents or our children as being wicked or righteous or evil, but what we do is we don't take responsibility and accountability for our own wickedness, but we just look at other people and just blame everybody else for their wickedness. See. See, so we take the arrow off of us, we take the attention off of us, and we're always looking at other people and their wretchedness and their wickedness. And we don't look in the mirror at our own evilness, wretchedness, and wickedness and correct it because we're too busy looking at other people's evilness, wreckedness, and, 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 and wickedness. You know, and so personal responsibility for sin. We have responsibility for our own sin, and we and only we will be culpable for it. We will pay the price for it. It's not going to be your mama's fault. It's not going to be your daddy's fault. It's not going to be your friend's fault. It's not going to be the man's fault. It's not going to be anybody else's fault. It's going to be your fault. Plain and simple. 
in verse 21. However, if a wicked person turns from all the sins he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is just and right, he will certainly live. He will not die. In other words, there is hope. All you have to do is recognize. All you have to do is acknowledge. Yes, I have been evil. Yes, I have been sinful. Yes, I have been wicked. And then turn. I will no longer be evil. I will no longer be wicked. I will no longer be sinful. In verse 22, it says, None of the transgressions he has committed will be held against him. He will live because of the righteousness he has practiced. And so, in other words, the Lord is giving us an escape route. We can escape from what we deserve. All we have to do is turn. We have to acknowledge, then we have to turn. We can't just acknowledge and not turn. <laughs> we have to turn from our wicked ways. And then in verse 23, this is, uh, uh, um, this is a, an indication of where the Lord is coming from, what his character is like. He says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? So he's asking you know, a question. He's trying, to, he's trying to illustrate. Look, I don't take any pleasure in this. He says, instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives? That's what I take pleasure in. When the wicked turn, I don't want them to die. I want them to turn. That's what I take pleasure in. And that's what I think gets lost a lot amongst, uh, amongst people, even righteous, even righteous people, just wanting to see the wicked punished. Uh, the Lord doesn't want to see that. He, want to see them, he wants to see them turned. He wants the wicked to become righteous. In verse 24, but when a righteous person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly, uh-oh, committing the same detestable acts that the wicked do, will he live? None of the righteous acts he did will be remembered. He will die because of the treachery he has engaged in and the sin he has committed. And so I would imagine, this is just me guessing, that the righteous person turning to wickedness would really set the Lord off because the righteous person should be one who is familiar with the fruits of righteousness. They should be familiar with the, with the goodness and, 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 and the, uh, the, the safety and the security that one finds under the cloak of the Lord. So when they turn and go south, it says whatever they did won't be remembered and he will die because of what he has done. And so that is, uh, <laughs> that is pretty serious. Let's go on to chapter 19. In chapter 19, uh, it says uh, the lament for Israel's princes. Uh, this chapter is about um, three kings in Israel. I'm not going to read any verses from it. I'm just going to paraphrase right here. It's about three uh, kings in uh, Israel, basically, Jehoahaz, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. They were all evil kings in Judah. And, um, and uh, the, the, the lament is how they were basically uh, taken away, <laughs> you know, for their evilness. And so that's what that chapter is about. Uh, let's go on to chapter 20. And chapter 20 says, Israel's rebellion. And so in the seventh year of the fifth month of the 10th day of the month, some of Israel's elders uh, came to inquire of the Lord and they sat down in front of me. In verse two, 
Then the Lord, oh, excuse me, then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak with the elders of Israel and tell them, this is what the Lord God says. Are you coming to inquire of me? As I live, I will not let you inquire of me. This is the declaration of the Lord. And so the Lord is telling uh, uh, um, Ezekiel to tell the, the elders, why are you coming here? You know, you guys are immersed in evil and wickedness and idolatrous worship. You guys are just, and, and you're, you're unrepentant, you know, and you're coming to inquire of me? Are you serious? Then he says in verse 4, um, he's talking to Ezekiel, you will pass judgment against them. You will pass judgments. Uh, will you pass judgment, son of man? <laughs> it's kind of tells him. It says, you will pass judgment against them. Will you pass judgment on them, son of man? You know, will you do it? Explain the detestable practices of their ancestors to them. And so for the next several verses, we're going through history. You know, as the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt and all the things that he did for them and then how they kept uh, their idolatrous ways up and how they turned from them and what his response was. And so he's recounting. So this is Ezekiel, I guess, recounting all of this history to the elders uh, that are before him. And so we're going to drop down to uh, verse 25. And it says, oh, no, excuse me, to verse 30. And it says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord says. You are defiling yourselves. No, are you defiling yourselves the way your ancestors did and prostituting yourselves with their abhorrent things? And so, again, Ezekiel goes through the history of all the things that their ancestors had, had done, you know, coming out of Egypt in the wilderness, you know, at Mount Sinai when Moses created the Ten Commandments, you know, all this stuff. He's going through all his history. And then he says to them, you know, are you defiling yourselves like they did? Are you prostituting yourselves with the same things they prostituted themselves with? And then it says in verse 31, when you offer your gifts, sacrificing your children in the fire, are you still uh, in the fire? You still continue to defile yourselves with all your idols today. And so he's saying, you know, you're still sacrificing your children in the high country to, to the God of Molech, you know. You're still putting your own kids to death. You're still doing these deplorable things. He says, when you offer gifts, your sacrifices of your children in the fire, you still continue to defile yourself, even after all this stuff has happened. And you're not ignorant of any of this stuff. You're just choosing uh, not to learn the lessons from them. He says, so should I let you inquire of me, house of Israel? <laughs> As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God, I will not let you inquire of me. And I can imagine that at that, Ezekiel ushered them out of his presence. <laughs> so apparently they came to him and then they got an earful. They said, no, I'm not going to respond to your inquiry and here's why. And then again, no, I'm not going to do it. Now leave. The next section says Israel's restoration. And um, basically, this, I, I found this to be, well, let me just read it. It says, when you say, let's be like the nations, like the clans of other countries, serving wood and stone, what you have in mind will never happen. And so the people wanted to be like those who they were living amongst. You know, they wanted to worship the, the wood and stone gods or idols. And, and the Lord is saying, 
that will never happen. In other words, the way I interpret that is that, look, you are to be different. You aren't to be like everybody else. I have something more grand in mind for you. So what you want, you want to lower yourself, and what you want will never happen under my watch. It's almost like our kids, when they want to do things and hang around people, people that aren't good for them, it's like, no, 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 no. They're going down the wrong path. No, you will never hang out with them. They will never be your boys. See, it might sound harsh at the time, but what you're doing is you're protecting them for something better. And then it says in verse 33, as I live, the declaration of the Lord, as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, I will reign over you with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and outpoured wrath. That doesn't sound too cool, but to me, that's kind of like discipline. I will watch over you. I will make sure that you're doing the right thing. I will make sure that you don't go off the path. I will make sure that you don't stray, you know, end up in jail or worse, basically. Verse 34, I will bring you from the peoples and gather you from the countries where you were scattered with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and outpoured wrath. I will lead you into the wilderness of the peoples and enter into judgment with you there face to face. Now, I believe, and from some commentaries that I've read, I believe this is referring uh, to judgment day times. In other words, this has not happened yet. This is still out in the future. He says, I will lead you into the wilderness of the peoples and enter uh, into judgment with you face to face. Verse 38 says, I will purge you of those who rebel and transgress against me. So to me, this sounds like a judgment, right? Come before the judgment seat of the Lord and I will purge those who aren't of me and keep those who are of me. Says, I will purge. Uh, I will purge you of those who rebel and transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they live as foreign residents, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so it seems like he's separating the people, but they haven't entered the promised land yet, or they haven't returned to Israel yet. And so he's just, he's just, you know, sifting, you know, the wheat from the chaff, just doing a uh, sift. Then it says in verse 31, when I bring you, when I bring you from the peoples and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered, I will accept you as a pleasing aroma and I will demonstrate my holiness through you in the sight of all the nations. See, so he's not going to do this part in secret. He's going to bring the people out in front of all the nations so that they can see that they are his people. And then it says, uh, when I lead you into the land of Israel, the land I swore to give your ancestors, you will know that I am the Lord. There you will remember your ways and all your deeds by which you have defiled yourself, and you will loathe yourselves for all the evil you have done. And so apparently when they return, there will be a recognition, a heartfelt recognition of all the evilness and wickedness that has been done by the people, I guess, throughout history. And it says, you will know that I am the Lord, house of Israel, when I have dealt with you for the sake of my name, rather than according to your evil ways and corrupt acts. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And so with that, we are going to conclude this episode and we will pick it up in chapter 21 tomorrow, uh, entitled God's Sword of Judgment. But before we depart, let's go to Romans chapter 10 
And it says, the message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, anyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, period. And thank God for that. Thank God in his, in his righteousness and his gracious mercy that we have an opportunity at everlasting and eternal life in his presence through Jesus Christ. So if you have not sincerely made that heartfelt confession, I highly encourage that you do. The word says that there are no other conditions except that you believe, you sincerely believe that Jesus is Lord. And with that, we'll see you tomorrow. Take care, stay safe, and bye-bye.